Welcome back. You're listening to the front page edition of All Things Considered. I'm Lindsay Zients. And I'm El Newbold. Florida four-year colleges are being challenged by Florida Governor Rick Scott to create more affordable more affordable college degrees. WUFTFM's Casey Greenout has more on this story. Governor Rick Scott's challenge goal is for each of Florida's 28 state schools to come up with specific programs that will cost a flat tuition fee of $10,000. Schools are already welcoming this challenge. President of College of Central Florida Jim Henningsen is optimistic for more opportunities for future students. Absolutely. In fact, we signed up to be one of the pilot colleges with the governor to accept his challenge to offer a bachelor's degree. It may not be all bachelor's degrees, but we are going to have our most popular degree in business and organizational management at the $10,000 level. So that's uh, we're we're excited about it. I mean, our mission is to provide affordable, high-quality programs that prepare graduates for jobs, and our community needs us more than ever right now. So by providing a $10,000 bachelor degree in our most popular program, we'll make a direct impact on helping families to secure an affordable degree in areas that provide a great opportunity for employment. President of Santa Fe College, Jackson Sasser, says the Police Academy, Fire Academy, and EMT Academy will be offering the $10,000 rate. What the governor has done is ask us uh, to select a degree uh, some may be offering others, but, but at the moment, uh, this is the degree that, that we're offering, hopefully, uh, beginning this fall. This does need to get through the legislature, so this is the beginning of, of a very, uh, very healthy discussion. Henningsen says schools like College of Central Florida currently offer other academic routes that can make their degrees cost less in the long run. We've had a variety of different initiatives out there. If folks use, um, we have what's called an early college program, and students can graduate from a high school with an AA degree and dual enrollment's free for the students. The students could then come to CF and complete the same bachelor's program. It would cost less than $8,000 to do that. Uh, but what we're trying to do is offer up the students um, a different pathway that may not have as many dual enrollment credits so that they can get the same degree for $10,000. And so we're working out the the details. I mean, we've agreed to accept the challenge, and uh, we're going to work with our sister institutions to see, you know, how we can come up with some unique, innovative ways. And I think part of that is going to be using uh, our scholarship resources that are available through our foundation to help supplant some of those costs for students. Sasser says they don't want to decrease the quality of student education with lower tuition costs. Well, I think, as, as indicated, uh, tuition is already low in Florida, so uh, there is a break-even point uh, uh, at which uh, we, we could not lower uh, tuition much more or we decrease uh, in service. We just uh, decrease the services we provide. And we're nationally known right now uh, providing not only access but quality instruction. So uh, there's a point at which, and the governor understands this, Even though most degrees at College of Central Florida total to a little more than $13,000 by graduation, they are doing their best to lower tuition and make it more affordable. Governor Rick Scott is having a press conference today in Orlando regarding the proposal. You're listening to Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM. I'm Casey Greenalge in Gainesville. The 2012 Florida election results are official after the state certified them on Tuesday. After some election night snags and tight races that kept supervisors counting even past the deadline, Florida Public Radio's Jessica Palumbo reports many Florida officials and lawmakers are calling for election reforms. 
With their signatures on the election certificates, the Florida Elections Canvassing Commission put an end to some hotly contested races. The commission is made up of Governor Rick Scott, Attorney General Pam Bondi, Agriculture Commissioner Adam Putnam, and Secretary of State Ken Detzner. Their certifications made President Obama's 29 electoral votes official, with his final share of the Florida vote at 50.01%. It was a result that hadn't been officially called until five days after polls closed on November 6th, and every other state had declared their presidential winner. The certified returns also included unofficial results from St. Lucie County, which was still recounting some votes when Sunday's state deadline passed. Detzner says St. Lucie was the only county not to get its returns filed in time. If St. Lucie County had timely submitted its retabulated returns, those returns would not have affected the ultimate outcome of any race and would not have placed any race within the margin of a recount. The holdup was because St. Lucie County is part of U.S. Congressional District 18, a race that Republican Alan West hadn't conceded to Democrat Patrick Murphy until this week. Murphy won with 50.28% to West's 49.7%. Both candidates had raised millions of dollars and outside groups had poured in even more to back them. West, a one-term Tea Party-backed congressman, is giving up his seat to Murphy, who at 29 years old is the youngest current U.S. representative. Governor Rick Scott says a lengthy ballot with 11 constitutional amendments led to long lines on Election Day, and he thinks the system needs to be improved. I want to make sure everybody feels comfortable getting out to vote. Um, of course, I want everybody to get, in get involved in elections. I tell, tell everybody in my talks. Go vote. Register to vote if you have the right to. Scott says he's asked Secretary Detzner to meet with election supervisors around the state and come up with a reform plan. On election day, there were reports at some Miami-Dade precincts that voters stood in line for up to six hours. Other precincts in Lee County had to order more ballots midday, and others reported understaffing. Incoming Florida House Speaker Will Weatherford says elections reform will be a priority for him. Oh, I think we have to admit that mistakes were made. Certainly you shouldn't have to sit in line for six hours to early vote. And for his part, Senate President Don Gates has created a standing committee that will conduct hearings on the elections process. Floridians should never again have to wonder if their ballots were miscoded or misprinted or miscounted. Floridians shouldn't be embarrassed that while most counties in our state run flawless elections... Some counties in our state just keep right on running flawed elections. In 2010, Gates sponsored an elections law amendment that extended the hours that polling places were open during early voting. It was part of the package of changes that cut down the number of early voting days, and many advocates and lawmakers were crying voter suppression in the months leading up to the election. But Secretary Detzner says he's not ready to blame the election day problems on the shortened early voting period. We're going to look ahead, see what we need to do to fix the issues, whether it's an appropriation from local governments, uh, whether it's a suggestion of appropriations from state government. Uh, clearly, people waiting in line is not an acceptable standard for the, our elections process, and um, I don't fix blame. I'm looking for solutions. Detzner says election supervisors are collecting data, and he expects to give a full report to the governor sometime next year. For Florida Public Radio, I'm Jessica Palumbo. World hunger is an age-old issue that is often overlooked by many. But as Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM's Kaylee Chamber reports, two local students are taking it upon themselves to get involved in the fight. 
While the average high school student may be worried about their latest exam grade, two juniors at Eastside High School are participating in the fight against world hunger. Abigail Eisenstadt and Amalia Murti were the only two Florida students chosen to attend the recent World Food Prize Global Youth Institute event in Iowa. Eisenstadt says she is so grateful for the experience. I have no background whatsoever with um, agriculture. I have no farming background. I have um, I have no basis for any of this. And so I basically spent my whole entire summer just looking up, you know, what's going on in the world? What's with Russia? How do I get, you know, how do I get these food to be? And so um, I think it was a huge honor. And I, have, I never even considered the possibility that I'd get to see famous people there. And then I did, and it, it was amazing. Eisenstadt earned her chance to go to Iowa through the essay she wrote on Russia and their unequal food distribution. She says that decreasing world hunger can solve many other issues as well. I think a lot of the driving force behind conflict in the world is caused by hungry people. And if you can take steps to eliminate a lot of that hunger, you have more, I guess, more rationality behind decisions instead of just you know, immediate like need for food and stuff. So I think that if you ended, semi-ended, I don't think ending world hunger is possible, but if you um, try to anticipate and stop world hunger, you can um, reach better agreements to stop conflicts than just, you know, immediate gratification. The two teenagers met with scientists, politicians, CEOs, and other experts from 65 countries at the Institute's event. Murdy says she felt like this was a good chance for her opinion to be heard. It was very prestigious, I mean, just to be, because there your ideas were uh, were valued more than you would say like in a regular school setting because everyone was there looking to do the same type of thing and everyone there was very interested in it. So you kind of felt like you were part of like a select few that you felt like you were very uh, like involved in like an idea or an issue. While there may not be a definite answer to completely end world hunger, there may be a few solutions. Murdy says it's going to take some creativity to solve the problem. More technology and innovation within the realm of agriculture, such as like uh, breed, the breeding of crops that are more either drought resistant or resistant to like the changing climate that's happening in the world right now. And also kind of new innovations like uh, farming in urban areas you know, rooftop farming and things like that are kind of new ideas that are very progressive. And like cities like New York City, they have lots of rooftop farms there. So The students aren't stopping here, though. They plan to start a club and get a hunger banquet together at Eastside High School within the next year. For Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM, I'm Kaylee Chambers. Cyber Monday is the largest online shopping day of the year. Many consumers prefer to wait until this day to order in order to avoid the long lines and crowds of the Black Friday weekend. Despite its increased popularity, Executive Director of the Retailing, of the Retailing Education and Research Center, Stephen Kern, says this increase in Internet usage will not overtake the in-store experience. Well, um sales are beginning to rebound so the sales are rising uh, as we're coming out of the recession Uh, the proportion of sales which are done online are still not as big as most people think if I ask people what percentage of sales of general merchandise do you think are online most people would say I don't know I guess 20% or something well it's actually most most recent years about 8% now it's growing fast will it ever be 100% I don't think so uh, that, that means that 92% in the most recent year of sales were done through conventional channels uh, and not online. 
So it's certainly spurring uh, sales. It's giving, making consumers very powerful because they have such information about the product and prices. Uh, so it's shifting the power balance to the consumer and away from the retailer. But uh, that's okay. It's supposed to be a partnership. However, Kern says stores have a reason to be concerned. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole concept that we've heard about and that's very much talked about in retailing. It's called showrooming. So let's say you're, you're a company like Best Buy selling electronics, which are widely sold on the Internet and are easily shipped and so forth. You can, in the store, have an app that tells you, you can look at the thing, Best Buy's paying for the store, paying for the staff, paying for the inventory, all those things. And the customer can look at the item, see if they like the way the camera feels, and immediately find five other places where they may be able to buy it cheaper, either online or another store. So they become a showroom for the online sales. So there's great concern about that among retailers. That they, they, they're bearing all the costs, but people who, can, who don't mind waiting a day or two can get stuff shipped to them immediately. This has led to stores changing their approach to making a sale. With uh, creating shopping experiences that you can't completely replicate online and offering very high degrees of service. So let's say I'm not sophisticated about a camera and I'm getting a digital camera, which are pretty fancy machines now with lots of features and so forth. If I, have a knowledge, if I can actually hold the camera in my hand, I have a knowledgeable person who can tell me about it and give me what I consider to be a fair price, then the retailer ought to be able to sell it to you right on the spot there. And then you've got your camera in your hand. You don't have to go home and wait. And if it comes, arrives damaged, you don't have to schlep it back to UPS or FedEx or somebody at the post office to mail it back, pay for that. There's just a lot of uh, reasons why the store still has a lot of advantages in terms of the shopping experience. The research firm Comscore says this year online shoppers are expected to spend up to $1.5 billion this Cyber Monday, a 20% increase from last year. Regardless of where consumers decide to spend their money, the holiday shopping season is officially here. The holiday season is a time filled with shopping and spending. The North Central Florida branch of the United Way, in a partnership with the UN Foundation, is hoping to bring attention to charity during this time through hashtag GivingTuesday. Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM's Rochelle Aline spoke with the United Way to find out more. Three, two, one. After all the hustle and bustle brought on by Black Friday and Cyber Monday, the United Way is working to remind people of the importance of giving to others. Through Giving Tuesday, people in Alachua County and the surrounding areas are able to donate goods, clothes, time, and money to charitable organizations in the community. The United Way's North Central Branch Director of Communications and Marketing, Kim Fianza, says the event really focuses on the community. Um, United Way works with partners around the community that have, um, that have volunteer opportunities. So we are... Um, kind of the liaison with our programs around the community where people can sign up through United Way to participate in um, various programs around the community to volunteer. Giving Tuesday also contains significant social media and online components. Fianza says since the event is online, giving is now just a click away. 
And actually, Giving Tuesday is hashtag Giving Tuesday, so it's all online, and we're promoting Giving Tuesday via our social media outlets of Facebook and Twitter. Um, so if you visit United Way of North Central Florida's Facebook page or our Twitter page, um, you'll see Giving Tuesday, and it's really a click away um, to give back to your community here in, in Gainesville and our surrounding counties. She also says people who want to volunteer or donate goods can call the United Way's office to get a listing of the various community organizations they partner with and a listing of the things they will need. The best thing to do is um, to call our office at 331-2800 and um, we can uh, provide a list to people of different agencies that we work with. We work with 27 right here in our local community. And most, um, most if not all of them, are looking for um, food and um, other goods during the holiday season. So yes, definitely, whether it's um, via online or whether you call that 331-2800 number, if you want to give back, we will help make it as easy as possible for you to do so. This event is the first of its kind, and participating organizations are hopeful that Giving Tuesday becomes a well-known holiday tradition. For now, they just want people to dig deep and realize how fun and rewarding giving to others can be. For Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM, I'm Rochelle Oline. You're listening to the front page edition of All Things Considered on Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM. I'm Al Newbold. And I'm Lindsay Science. The news on WUFT doesn't end with us. Tune in to our sister station, WUFT TV, first at 5 at 5 p.m. Let's check with our anchors on what they have in store for us. Coming up in less than an hour. Good afternoon, I'm Alex Tiarnes. And I'm Caitlin Lawrence. Coming up at 5 on WUFT First at 5. It's Cyber Monday. Many online retailers are offering deals for your Christmas shopping. We'll have the latest numbers and what people around Gainesville are saying. Plus, as we get closer to the fiscal cliff, more politicians are starting to indicate their willingness to compromise. And the Florida Gators are still celebrating their win over the big rival FSU. All this, more news, sports, and weather coming up at 5 o'clock on Florida's 5. We'll see you then. And, of course, the news is always online at WUFT.org. A Gainesville treasure. That's how many people are referring to Lenny Kessel today. The 86-year-old jazz singer, sculptor, and artist died this past weekend. Florida's 89.1 WUFT-FM's Donna Green Townsend reports. Lenny Kessel was an artist of abundant energy and a passion for not only his art, but for the work of young artists in the community, often teaching and mentoring them in their early careers. He also had a love for singing jazz music. The chair of the Fine Arts Department at Oak Hall School in Gainesville, Robert Ponzio, first met Lenny Kessel while he was a graduate student at the University of Florida. In recent years, they worked together setting up art exhibits. As far as Gainesville arts and culture, I can't help but thinking about it without him. You know, he was such a unique, eccentric, uh, lovable character, um, so full of energy and life that's kind of a, a shock. You know, he just always expected Lenny to just kind of be there and keep keep going. He definitely will be missed. He had so many different talents, too. It wasn't just one genre, was it? That's right. He's worked with a number of, of you know, be it famous jazz musicians, famous artists. Talking with Lenny was more of a roller coaster ride than a conversation, you know. His mind is just full of 
ideas, and he was so inspired and excited. And, you know, the conversation would go in many, many different areas all at once, and, and you'd always get these little tidbits that would, you know, sneak out about, you know, meeting this famous artist, knowing this, you know, famous musician. I mean, it's amazing just the amount of, the, of, of things that he's accomplished and been through in his life with such, you know, good spirit. The artistic director for the Hippodrome State Theater, Lauren Caldwell, says she will always remember Lenny Kessel for not only his artistry, but his ability to tell stories. Well, you know, we remember Lenny not only for just running into him at every event in town. We think of him for his beautiful artwork that he gave us. But when I think of Lenny, I think of, I, I just remember what a great storyteller he was. I know sometimes I would be sitting out on the bench at the Hippodrome and he would come out of the cinema. If he really liked the picture that was going on, he would stand there and relay the story to me. And it was in such detail, with such passion, that that is one of the things I remember about him so fondly is that his, his passion for every art form, just how cute he was and honest and, and noble when he would share those things. Uh, he could light up a face like nobody else. He was a generous artist. That's what I remember about him most is his wonderful ability for storytelling. We see that in his paintings, the ability to tell a story with those brush strokes and uh, the many ways that he went about um, the, the different uh, genres that he used in his artwork. He will be remembered very fondly by this community forever. We cherished him so much, so he will be greatly missed for sure. Gainesville photographer Larry Santucci spent many hours with Lenny Kessel in recent years. He was supposed to meet with Lenny the very morning that Lenny died. He says there will never be another artist like him. Lenny was a very unusual person. Uh, in fact, that's really an understatement. Uh, he was so many faceted that it, it, people knew him for different things. Uh, a, a rock and tour. Uh, a disc jockey, a musician, a teacher. My my feelings about Lenny are very, very deep. And, and anyone who spent any time with Lenny at all loved him dearly. Lenny was very giving of his time to um, mentoring uh, countless, countless emerging artists. Everyone expected Lenny to live forever. <laughs> And it's funny because I said to Barbara in his passing, because I, I was at the hospital uh, that morning, uh, that at 5.20, and he passed away, by 5.23, he probably had God talking to himself. And by 5.25, I'm sure that God was out of breath just trying to keep up with money. <laughs> because he had boundless... His, energy was incredible and it, it 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 was it came from this creative verve that he had he will be missed i know that i will miss him terribly i don't know what we're going to do without him to be honest with you there's no one in this town no matter how beloved that it can ever ever take his place ever ever Many in the community knew Kessel for his ability to sing great jazz tunes. Back in 1979, he took off on a bus for the West Coast for a four-hour Hollywood recording session with pianist Alan Broadbent.
The LP came out as a CD in the year 2000. And Lenny came into the WUFT studios to talk about his CD release party. Here's a snippet of my interview with Lenny from 2000. You came. You saw. described as a singer who's aware of every syllable and every nuance. What a compliment. That's true. Well, that's what it's about. When I hear Smashing Pumpkins and that guy is nice. I love his bald head and everything, but when his words come out of his chops like that, why, it's just rather startling to me that I, I can't really understand them. And I always thought that's what we were supposed to do when we sang, you see. Well, it's also been said, and many other greats that are out there have been have had the same compliment that you understand that you're more that you're doing more than singing a song. You're telling a story. Yeah, that's what it's really about. And people like Larry Hart and Ira Gershwin, any of the ling, uh, the well, they were linguists. They were linguists as a Freudian slip, but the manner in which they picked their words and the beauty with which they dovetailed all the thoughts was just startling to me. And so what do you got to work with? The best. I mean, it's like having real good oil for your car. You know, something I like about this uh, whole CD is that really you only have a piano and your voice that uh, the, the liner notes say something about if you'd added more musicians it would have been like putting cats up on caviar it wasn't needed well he is a master of accompaniment no. uh, which is something that anybody dies for if they're a singer you got to realize all the rhythm all of the enunciations with uh, the chords in the background have to be considered in a, a person uh, in, in a in a way that you're doing it for the singer i mean they're taking they're the straight man but when they do it like Alan Broadbent, who I'd never met, never really saw again, I waved to him once on a stage, and, uh, but it, that was four hours of treasured time in my life with him on piano. The world will always welcome lovers. Memorial services for 86-year-old Lenny Castle are pending. For Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM, I'm Donna Green Townsend. Moonlight and love songs are never out of date. Hearts full of passion, jealousy and hate. Woman needs man and man must have his mate that no one can. People normally associate the holiday season with friends, food, and family, but it also has an impact on the economy. Florida Retail Federation Director of Communications John Fleming says the holiday season is great for consumers and businesses, and Florida has made a great rebound in retail. 
You know, for the past several years, of course, we just went through a very severe recession, and that affected retailers along with every other industry in the country and the state of Florida. Uh, retailers in particular took a hit. Uh, consumer spending really went down, and uh, sales decreased for a number of years. You saw many retailers had to pull back staffing. Uh, I'm happy to say that last year we uh, set a new record in terms of sales in the state of Florida. We're expecting to set another record this year. So we've really rebounded strongly. Retail uh, in all accounts for about one out of four jobs in the entire state of Florida. So it's a really important industry. So when retailers are doing well, the economy is doing well. And I'm happy to say that retailers look like they're doing pretty well right now. Fleming says we have been doing better because of less unemployment in the nation, especially with businesses hiring for the holidays. He adds because consumer confidence has risen, people are more willing to make bigger purchases. Unemployment has stabilized and come down a lot in the past couple of years. That means more people have jobs. They're more willing to go out and spend on uh, gifts for their friends and family uh, in particular. Uh, consumer confidence has really gone up, uh, particularly in two important areas, which are do you feel like the economy will be better a year from now and five years from now? More people uh, are saying yes to those questions than have in the past several years. So we really take that as a sign that people are more willing to make those big purchases. Uh, that might take a year or five years to pay off. Uh, it, especially cars. Car, the car sales have really been up this year. We're expecting uh, holiday season actually to um, uh, improve sales, things like home appliances and things that really haven't sold well in the past few years. Uh, those big-ticket items uh, look like they're selling better in particular this year. Fleming says retails in Florida will add about 42,000 jobs to the market. He says because it is a festive time for families to be together, it's hard to find a negative impact with the holiday shopping season. The holidays can be a difficult time of year for, ch for a child who may be stuck in a hospital bed. On Sunday, youngsters and their families at Shan's Children's Hospital had their day brightened by what's become an annual visit by the Gator volleyball team. Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM's Nikkel Smith tells us it provided a happy ending to the Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> The UF women's volleyball team put smiles on more than just the faces of their sports fans when they visited the Shands Hospital for Children at UF on Sunday. One teenage patient, in particular Garrett Leopold, was excited for the girls to talk with him and his family. His mother, Susan Leopold, says they are very grateful for the short time they spend with the team. I think that means a lot because you have to think about what they're giving up. I mean, they're giving up their family time, and I'm sure they have a lot of studying to do as well. This is the team's 21st year visiting the children at Shands during Thanksgiving week, and it was all started by one player, Patricia Marino, in 1992. Gator volleyball head coach Mary Wise says this year, however, holds a special meaning for the team. Each year is, is unique. The visit is unique and special, and I don't know if one stands out more than another. This one will be pretty special um, because our, our assistant coach um, and his wife just delivered, and... Um, uh, baby, and so to have a new addition to our Gator family and know how awesome the doctors and nurses are here at Shands, it really makes it more personal. 
You have seen your Sunday Weston has been involved with Goodwill Gators and making hospital visits on her own for the past four years. Weston says the time spent with the kids allows them to forget their troubles for a little while. At the close of four awesome years, I'm really grateful for all the opportunity that I've had at this program, and especially this time of year, it really gives you an opportunity to reflect and give back. So this year, it means more to me because it's the last year I'll be able to share this with this family, with these families, and my Gator volleyball family. Weston adds volunteering also helps her put life into better perspective. We don't realize every day how lucky we have it. And we go into the gym and I think we take a lot of the things that we do for granted. So it's just a great opportunity to be able to get involved and give back. And so I do it because it's an incredible opportunity to see these families and know that as much as we go through every day, they're facing more and how strong they are. The team visited as many rooms as allowed on the pediatrics floor at Chan's, handing out small volleyballs and lanyards, among other things. They hope to make the children proud as they head into the NCAA tournament next weekend. For Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM, I'm Nikkel Smith. Governor Rick Scott is asking the state inspector general to look into the recent firing of four internal watchdogs at Citizen Property Insurance, who were charged with keeping an eye on any wrongdoing at the company. Florida's Public Radio, Reagan McCarthy, reports the state backer insurer fired the employees during an investigation into mismanaged corporate funds. Were they doing their job too well? That's a question Dan Krasner with the watchdog group Integrity Florida is asking. He says he hopes the inspector general's investigation will uncover whether that's the reason the citizens' property insurance watchdogs were fired. Uh, A recent uh, report came out of Citizens that indicated that the Uh, integrity office there was investigating senior management of the state-run insurer and other um, extreme cases of of potential wasteful spending and sexual harassment, very serious matters. Krasner wrote a letter to Governor Rick Scott about a month ago asking for an investigation. Scott says an audit report raised some red flags for him since it gave the appearance of impropriety. He's asking the inspector general to review the dismissals to see if they were retaliatory. For Florida Public Radio, I'm Regan McCarthy. Voting is now open for Florida residents to select a design for new standard license plates. The Florida Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles Department launched the VoteForFloridaTag.com site early today, and it will remain open through December 14th. The designs were created by the department's in-house design team and are an effort to increase legibility for red light and speeding cameras and to add a seventh digit to the license plate. The state is running out of combinations with the current six-digit designation. Earlier this year, the department proposed outsourcing tag and registration to the private sector, causing controversy among the state's local tax collectors, who have historically assessed fees and issued the plates. That plan is on hold, but the department is still moving forward with a redesigned project. You can see the potential designs and link to the voting site via our site, wuft.org. Gainesville's homeless population has to worry about the basic necessities like food and shelter. But as Florida's 89.1 WUFTFM's Michael Higdon found out, most of them have pets, and that creates an additional list of problems. The homeless people have a number of things to worry about, but one thing that isn't expected is the concern for their animals. Gainesville resident Elizabeth Howard decided to start the Home Van Pet Care Project that would cater to the homeless person's companions. Well, I came to um, a gathering to support the homeless a few years back, five or six years back, and I knew I'm an activist all my life. 
And I knew I wanted to do something to help the homeless people, but I am more an animal rights activist and have been for quite a while now. So I thought, well, okay, so I'll get the pet food for the homeless people, for their dogs and cats. Howard says caring for a pet can be hard, but sometimes these are the people who need the love and companionship that pets provide the most. She started the project five years ago, and since then it has continued to grow. Well, in the beginning, I probably had one little bag of dog food or cat food that somebody had given me, and now we give about 100 pounds each of dog food and cat food every week. And, of course, there are volunteers, and we've become a nonprofit. Um, we're a sister group to the Home Van, which is a long-term Gainesville nonprofit that feeds the people. So I went with them for quite a while with my car, and then um, I began having more food and needing more help, and wanted to get home a little earlier, so we started going down to the library to give the food out on Wednesdays. The project also travels around different locations in the Gainesville area to distribute the food. They bag up the pet food in gallon-sized Ziploc bags, but Howard says they try and emphasize that because they are not a food bank, it is only a supplement and not enough to sustain the pets. We try to get everybody to find out where they can get more food and how they can feed their animals well because we just can't give them the whole amount that they need. Howard adds that she loves doing this project, but it is getting to a point where things are starting to change. At this point, I think I'm really tired. I love doing it. I feel like we're kind of at a change place where it's almost just too much, and I don't know exactly how we're going to go with that. We need more volunteers. We need more food. We need more people to help bag up the food and get it ready and get it there. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit scary right now. I don't know which way to go with some of this. Howard says her greatest piece of advice would be to spay and neuter. We just can't do this. You can't have one litter of puppies or kitties. It is not working. You won't be able to sell them like you think you might. And they won't have homes. And our animal services, they would love to have a no-kill shelter, but they're a long way from them because there's so many that we don't have homes for. In the meantime, Howard says they are dedicated to helping people keep their pets and could use as much help as they can get. For Florida's 89.1 WUFT-FM, I'm Michael Higdon in Gainesville.